You're listening to Nakedly Examined Music, a podcast about songs and songwriters. My name is Mark Linsenmeyer. My guest for episode 180 is Rebecca Pigeon. She started in Scotland in a band called Ruby Blue. You're right now hearing So Unlike Me from their debut album, 1987's Glances Askances. But after only a couple years, she moved to New York to do more acting. You might know her from The Spanish Prisoner with Steve Martin or Heist with Gene Hackman. The Winslow Boy. A lot of these are directed by David Mamet, and that's not a coincidence. It's her husband. But through all this, she's been releasing music, 10 solo albums, and some EPs to date. We'll talk about Silent Sound from her brand new album, Parts of Speech, Pieces of Sound. Then Stark Naked from the 2020 EP of that name. And going all the way back to 24 Hours of Love from... Her second solo album, 1996's The New York Girls Club. We'll conclude by listening to You Have Got My Number from 2013's Blue Dress On. For more information, please see RebeccaPigeonMusic.com. For more about this podcast, go look to NakedlyExaminedMusic.com. Make sure you're subscribed directly to the Nakedly Examined Music feed. And if you want to support the effort, Patreon.com slash Nakedly Examined Music is where you can get all the episodes ad-free, sometimes early, and for the last few years with my episode notes that include lyrics, song structures, etc. So I will have played a bit of So Unlike Me by Ruby Blue from 1987's Glances Escances to Orient, folks. We're going to get pretty quickly to your new stuff. You have a very strange career. Can we give a little picture of the arc of that for instance, did you leave that band just because you left Scotland or it was just time or what? Roger Fife and I started a band. We were just a duo, basically, in um, Edinburgh. I was down in London at Drama College and he came down and we made that record, Glances Askances, and met Dave Kitson from Red Flame Records, who, who signed us and was our manager. And then eventually we signed as Ruby Blue to um, Phonogram in London. But then I moved away. I moved to the States. And so it wasn't really possible to keep going with that band anymore. So that ended, unfortunately, in 1989. Then a bunch of solo albums in parallel with acting gigs. Was it just when you didn't have a movie going, then you would make an album? Or what was kind of the determining factor? I mean, I didn't feel like an especially busy person. I didn't really feel that I was jammed up or anything. Yeah, I just do one project and finish and then do a different project. Sometimes it was music and sometimes it was acting. So were you, for instance, turning down films because, oh no, I'm, I'm in the middle of an album. We're, we got a tour going. We got something. I was turning down things when I was with Ruby Blue in England, like really good theater gigs and stuff, which I hated to do. But when I got to the States... I just sort of wove through the dates that I was working as an actress. And I don't know why, but there weren't any conflicts. It's weird, isn't it? You said my career was weird. <laughs> yes. So 10 soul albums later, we have this new one about to come out. Parts of speech, pieces of sound. And the song that I picked that we're going to hear in a second is Silent Sound, the first single off that. Actually, a little atypical. It is, to me, the prettiest song in the record. But a lot of the record has a lot of... Indian sounds, whether Indian percussion or yeah. actual sitars or whatever. Can you say a little about where you're at in putting this soundscape together that is this album? Well, it's funny, you know, actually, that you picked this song to start the show called So Unlike Me, because that was one of the first songs that we recorded and brought out. 
one of the first ever songs that I wrote. I was thinking, God, you know, I think I've come sort of full circle, sonically anyway, because this reminds me a bit of that early stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, this album does have an Eastern influence because it comes out of my, during COVID lockdown, you know, I was studying Samkhya and yoga philosophy with a wonderful teacher who was doing teaching online. I wasn't his student or anything. And I find that subject really fascinating. I was also working with a, a yoga teacher who talks a lot about sound, inner sound, and talks a lot about inner sound being quite like music, like you're writing your own inner music. And she talked about this Indian instrument called the tampura. I thought, what's a tampura? So I listened to it and I thought, God, that's a drone instrument. It's a string instrument, but it sounds like a drone. And I thought that sounds just like, to me, sounds like the bagpipe drone. You know, I grew up in Scotland and I grew up with Scottish folk music. And I think that that drone is the basis of a lot of folk tunes in all sorts of different cultures. So it was resonant with me. And I think that that song you picked, So Unlike Me, it has a similar vibe, it has a drone. Yeah, so we'll put Silent Sound out there that also has... Silent Sound is one song that does not have a tempura. You're right. It's, a, it's, the, most, it's the most Western song on, on the record. But shares a little of that, like I could see it having, it doesn't have, but having an 80s production value. You know, you have some nice reverb on the voice, but it's not soaked in the way that 1987 would have done to it. Well, let's just get it out there. Take the words and break them in. 
breaking down language into parts and speech and only you can complete them, give them sacred meaning. Can you fill out that story a little bit? I was doing a class and the teacher was talking about something which is called pranakriyas. And it's to do with, it's quite difficult to describe, but it's in the process of pranayama and also in asana practice. There are sounds like syllables, right? So you know the mantra, om. Mm -hmm. That is called a bija mantra, seed. Bija means seed. It's a seed sound. And there are all sorts of different seed sounds connected to different parts of the body, right? And different elements. And you use these silent sounds in a pranayama practice, which is like regulation of the breath practice, but also it's regulation of what they call prana, which is they call cosmic life energy, life force. She told us this story, which is the story I tell in the song, to, as an analogy for these kind of pure sound forms. She says a little girl goes into a temple and kneels down to pray, but she's saying the letters, and it's Sanskrit letters, really, in her story. And a priest overhears, and, and he sees her coming every day, and he's, he asks her what she's doing. She says, I don't know any prayers, but I know these letters, and I, if I say the letters to God, God will then put them in the correct order to make a sacred prayer for me better than I can do it. And so she was saying that it's similar to these pranakriyas, which are just syllables, and they're pure sound forms, so there's no emotion or meaning attached to them. But what they do is they're kind of like a gateway into certain kind of stilling of the mind, which is like a gateway into some sort of communion with one's higher self or intelligence. And they're very calming and soothing to the mind. So I'm thinking of that in terms of your delivery here. I mean, the as I can not, like this is almost like doing it one per quarter note. If you'd done that the whole song, this would be, you know, robotic. But putting it there, it's like you're actually doing, I'm going to put a separate word in each. I know you didn't say each syllable, but it's becoming almost meaningless. I had this thought after she told the story. I thought, yes, it's like, okay, we have our language. We're trying to express ourselves and we're chronically failing all the time with our language. And we think we use language to communicate and to get our thoughts across. And we do, but also we use language to get what we want, right, from others. Often thoughts are very, very difficult to put into words. Often thoughts can be even images or feelings. And that's why the great poets are so valuable to us because they do have the capacity to put feelings that we all have in the human condition into words that are just right, but that perhaps aren't rational or sensible in everyday language. So I thought, well, it's like taking language and separating it out into parts of speech and then separating the parts of speech into smaller and smaller units, right? Until you just have sound and in one kind of altered universe, just the pure sound is more meaningful than the language. Well, let's turn to the palette that you chose for this, because it does have, even though it doesn't have a drone, it almost has this gamelan feel, like it still has an Eastern feel, this tuned percussion. I assume this is some patch somewhere. Were you doing this primarily on computer and then sending it out for the strings? How logistically did this come together? Yeah, logistically, I what did write a lot of this album using loops and sounds and drum loops and I didn't approach it the way I've done other records, just going straight to my guitar. And I approached this also using a keyboard and sampled sounds. So I would 
make string arrangements and so forth. So I think a lot of the writing was built off of a drone and a rhythm section. The strings, you just wrote them with the synth or are we actually hearing the synth? Because they sound very good patches if they're, if they're patches. I wrote the string parts with sampled sounds. Mm-hmm. And then Andy Studer, a wonderful violinist, came in and replaced the things. But we do use still some of the sampled sounds as well. And like the smeared bass thing, that is that just you doing that? Did you get somebody to come in? You, it sounds like there's a fretless bass that you're kind of... No, that's Fernando Perdomo who's playing the fretless bass on that, yeah. He and I co-produced the record. Okay. Well, and then speaking, you know, I, I mentioned this is, it's not mixed like an 80s thing, but it still sounds like maybe the, you did something to the vocal, double tracked it or something to make it angelic. You know, when you're, are you even in the loop at that point? Or do you send it off to somebody to mix in terms of how exactly you want the vocal to come off? Oh no, I'm very in the loop. However, I can't remember if I did double track that or not. Okay. Once it's digital, it seems like I do this all the time. Just instead of applying a delay, just like duplicate the track and move one of them slightly. And I know what you mean. Yes. Did this percussion bed come first or did you already have the song written? I mean, I do remember sitting on my couch over there and coming up with the, the tune and thinking of the tune. Well, that's a string part. That's not a vocal part. And then thinking, but I'm going to do it as a vocal part and have Andy do a, a string part in harmony underneath. And I do remember having a guitar in my hand at that, at that moment. Do you write consistently just on guitar? I have done in the past, and this has really changed in the way I composed this record. I also used just starting from a tune that came into my mind, not even near any instrument, and then going from there. Any thoughts about the particular way that you're doing the double-tracked backing vocals that you know you have the as I cannot and I do not, you know, this ahs or oohs or, you know, that's just you filling the space. That's just backing vocals that we did in Fernando's studio, actually. That was us just sitting around. We said, wouldn't it be nice if there was some backing vocals here? Okay, because it also sounds like a spot that you've got strings in the song. The string could have filled, you know, played those exact lines. But I guess it's just a matter of like where in the process you came up with. Well, I guess there's a little hole here. Well, it's choices. Yes, it's choices about... Yeah. So the you, just to return to the meaning for this, often if it's a mantra, if it's a prayer, the you is is God, is the universe, is something, is this, but is this a love song or anything like that in terms of another human being completing you, that kind of, like, who is this song to? The reference in the song of I'll go to sleep and then I'll meet with you, my beloved, is an ancient concept in yoga and Sanatana Dharma of The sages say, apparently, that every night when we go to sleep, in the dreamless part of our sleep, that we're meeting the divine. And it's like a teacher said something quite funny. He said, it's like you're going on a date, a dating with your beloved, which is the divine. And they say that, you know, you're at your most, you're stripped of your ego in that state, right? You say, who's asleep? Oh, Johnny's asleep on the couch over there. But when Johnny is not dreaming and Johnny is in a state of dreamless sleep, they say, you can't really say that he's Johnny anymore. He's a being, right? It's a being. A being is in a state of being. And 
closer to the divine than in any wakeful state that he being a normal human being experiences. I mean, there are saints and sages and rishis who presumably do experience higher states of being. But I thought that was an interesting concept, the idea of going to have a date with God, with your beloved. I guess I had originally read this as a commentary on songwriting. You know, just one of those, I'm sitting down, I don't know how to put things into words. I have a feeling I don't know how to put into words. Let's go meta and talk about the process of let me say, mutter something and you can finish it. Is that part of it or is that just something I'm imposing there? I'm trying to figure out a way to get to a state of peace. To focus on one little part of the song, when you actually get to the silent sound, there's sort of a choice of like, how literal, you know, this is a very theatrical piece. A lot of your songs seem very theatrical. The way that you do that, actually, the first time is it's just like a four count. And the backing the gamelon thing keeps going through it, as opposed to we're going to actually have some silence or something. You know, the way that the song ends where you say that and then, okay, now we're drifting off. Given that it's called silent sound, was there any thought in like, how literal do I want to be in this? Do I want to put four bars in there of silence? Do I want to do... That didn't occur to me. The phrase silent sound, they say that in yoga, certain yoga practices, you have all your senses, right? And they connect with their objects in the world, your sight and your hearing and your sense of touch. And our senses are always going after their objects. But in yogic practices, the idea is to turn those senses inward and then they become senses of intelligence, not a sense of smell, for example, or a sense of sight, right? So if if you, can you see the back of your head in everyday life? No, you can't. But if you close your eyes, now can you see the back of your head if you're thinking about it, right? So the idea of silent sound is that it's not sound that's being spoken physically out in the world, but it's nevertheless still sound that you can hear within yourself, even though it's not being spoken. Sure. So you're talking about spiritual matters. The fact that the word sound is in it doesn't mean that it has to actually be reflected in the music and what people are hearing. Doesn't mean it's vocalized, right? It's like, you know, when you're going around your day and you've got a song in your head, you're not singing it, but you can hear it all the time. Well, let's get the second song on the table here because this is also very theatrical. Completely different tone. This is not a, a peace-seeking song. This is a still spiritual, but maybe has an eyes wide shut thing going on. I, I'm not sure. Stark Naked, the title track from the Stark Naked 2020 EP. Can you give a, a little intro to that of where you were at just a couple of years ago with this before we hear it? All right. So this was inspired by a documentary called... I think it's called Magic Trip. It's about Ken Kesey and Neil Cassidy and the Merry Pranksters on their bus going around on their adventures. And there's a character in that film, a girl whose name is, she says, Stark Naked. That's her name. The lyrics were written actually by David Bateau. And he was very fascinated with that whole era, the 60s, all of the the extraordinary political situations, you know, the Cold War and the hippie revolution and and drugs and the use of, you know, how the LSD, you know, first came into being used by the CIA before it was introduced into the drug community, into the hippie community. So anyway, this documentary 
I had come up with a kind of this kind of experimental piece of music based around this bass riff. And we kind of thought, well, it, it's as if you took beat poetry and put music. We decided to tell this story of Start Naked. And I think it's interesting because, you know, I say in that song, Silent Sound, I'm looking for peace and it's what I'm interested in. And I think that these people in this documentary are looking for peace. They're looking for an altered state, right? And I think in my earlier life, I used to look at that kind of thing and think, how wonderful, how romantic, you know, free love and drugs and just get on the road and go on a road trip and just love everybody. But what I see now is that everybody is looking for peace in some way or another, right? And some version of it is pleasure, right? People are looking for pleasure or an altered state, a state where everything is fine. They're looking for happiness. We look for it in all the wrong places and we get lost in a kind of, well, in its worst case, we get lost in a kind of debauchery because we're looking for perhaps relief from pain, right? Relief from the pain of everyday life. You know, life has sorrows. We're looking for release from sorrows, but we're doing it in very clumsy ways and we're doing it in all the wrong places. And so that, when I look at that, lifestyle now, I think, well, Neil Cassidy, you know, he was clearly in the manic stage of a bipolar experience. He was just completely manically talking. Ken Kesey, of course, is the author of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And they were doing this whole drug kind of experience with the Merry Pranksters. And it looked like freedom and it looked like love and hope and joy. But I think actually it was just a lot of people on the run and kind of lost. And I think that this track has a darkness to it, which kind of conveys that undertone feeling, a sinister side, you know, I think of people really coming off the tracks of their lives, you know, in the search for the good life, which leads them to destruction. I think this young lady ended up in a mental hospital and she had a breakdown and I think Neil Cassidy died. I'm not sure how he died, actually. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's me. 
and I fly away About 40 words Getting down on my knees About 40 words Getting down on my knees About 40 words Getting Before we talk about that song, let's talk about the sponsors. And I want to thank our pretty new sponsor, BeatStars, the number one digital music marketplace to buy and sell beats. So whether you're just starting out in music, maybe you write some poetry, there are free tools online that you could use with BeatStars beats and samples to create something, even if you've never made a song before. Or, of course, if you're already a musician, I mean, Lil Nas X's Old Town Road that was made by a BeatStar producer, CJ's Whoopity, Soldier Boys, She Made a Clap, many, many other things you've heard on the radio. So there are millions of beats in every genre and style you can buy. Many of the beats are very, very low cost or even free. Now, also, if you're a musician looking for new ways to make income, BeatStars allows music creators to sell their products worldwide from beats, loops, sound kits to vocals, lyrics, graphic design, and video editing. And they offer music distribution to dozens of streaming platforms for only $19.99 a year for unlimited song releases. That compares very favorably to the other uh, companies that can help you release your music. BeatStars has helped pay out over $200 million in music sales to hundreds of thousands of musicians. Listeners can go to BeatStars.com slash N-E-M. That's capital N, capital E, capital M to get started on BeatStars. BeatStars is free to use for beginners, and you can also get a one-free-month premium subscription to open your own virtual music store with the code NEM. So please help support this new sponsor to the show, BeatStars.com slash NEM, all capitalized. I also want to tell you about the Nebia by Moen Quattro Showerhead. You might think that 
the shower head that came with your house or apartment or wigwam is just there. That's just what you get. Well, no, you could replace that thing to get a superior shower experience with a super easy installation. You don't need a plumber or anything. It just takes minutes. Nebbia is a high-tech company. It has former NASA, Tesla, and Apple engineers who were very passionate about saving water. There is a massive drought in the entire West Coast, at least. The Nebbia showerhead will use probably about half the water of your current showerhead, saving you lots of money. But you could also just ignore that and think of this as something to treat yourself to, to improve your life. All that time you spend coming up with melodies or thinking about wonderful new ideas or dwelling on whatever bullshit you dwell on in the shower because the felt water pressure is as strong or stronger than anything you've got going now, thanks to the technology of atomized droplets. I don't really know what that means, but it creates a very nice, steamy, spa-like shower experience. And with the Quattro, you can choose between four different sprays. So you got that spa spray, the classic Nebbia spray, or you have some especially hard spray mode. You've got the mode just for sensitive skin and pets. But really, all these are going to be strong enough to get shampoo out of even the thickest hair. For instance, the Nebbia by Moen Quattro starts at just $119 exclusively on Nebbia.com. And Nebbia gave us a special discount for our community. Go to Nebbia.com slash N-E-M. Use code N-E-M at checkout to get 10% off all Nebbia products, which is not just the shower head, but also sustainable shower accessories, shelves, bath mats, little hooks, shower curtains. This is a great deal to jump on. Again, go to nebbia.com slash N-E-M. That's N-E-B-I-A dot com slash N-E-M to check out what they have to offer. Save 10% with the code N-E-M. So really interesting palette here with this one as well. Kind of reminds me, early 80s Peter Gabriel is one of my favorite things. You know, these dark... I should mention to you, by the way, that this was produced by Thomas Bartlett, who I made this record with. And he's a really, really interesting musician and producer. That's not a melody you're going to have in your head. This smeary thing necessarily is the first thing. So what is the order of operations? Did you have any melody to it at all? Or you just had this? I wrote the song on a bass, just singing it. Then I go to the computer and make demos and do arrangements and so forth. But when did these lyrics by David Bateau come in? Like, did you have those to start with? After I had written this strange piece of music. So the strange piece of music they had written of it included the vocal line, just not with those lyrics. Are there different lyrics? Did this have a different... Well, it's a bit like Paul McCartney says. I was singing things like scrambled eggs. Okay. All right. Yes. What made you then seek outside your circle in terms of what is your relationship with David such that you would get this out of him? And did you have this idea from the, you know, this is not somebody mailing you lyrics. Like you're talking about the themes. You're very much on top of. So it sounds like there was at least a discussion. But if you're having that discussion, why not just write them yourself? I guess is the question. We wrote together for years. There was a, a stage in my career when I was working with the band Ruby Blue. We did a, an album for Phonogram, which was produced and engineered by Tony Phillips. And he had just come off of working on Joni Mitchell's album, Night Ride Home, which was produced by Larry Klein. And Tony introduced me to Larry. And when I moved to the States, I asked Larry, if, after I'd worked with the Cheskies, making three records with them, I asked Larry if he would be interested in working together. Because I did go through a phase of being very influenced by Joni Mitchell. 
And he had worked with her for years and he was her bass player. And he said, yes. And so we made three records together. And he introduced me on this record we made called Slingshot. He introduced me to David Bateau and the three of us did quite a lot of writing together. So that's how I met David. Okay. Given how much poetry, how much lyrics you write, what is that like in terms of, is it a person to work with and write lyrics with often? Or is it, in this case, the fact, you know, actually taking... Often we did write lyrics together, yeah. But this was so surprising and wonderful that I just, I didn't change it. Okay. So it might normally be a back and forth procedure of here's something, now I'm going to make it mine. And you just said, it's already mine. It's already, it's already the way it's supposed to yeah. be. Yeah. Well, because we were talking about themes for this record and a lot, and we were on the same page with a lot of it. So what about the particular, like this little guitar sound? This- That's Thomas Bartlett. All right. So you're just saying, put something there and then having the same kind of back and forth with him that you would. We did use quite a bit of the stuff that I had used in the demo as well. But Thomas came in, you know, he's a, I would say an inspired musician. And so he brought his uh, take to things as well. Okay. So all these kind of nine inch nails gestures, the, 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 you know, these repeating, I put synth guitar that was in your demo. That was something in my demo. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. And even just the choice of drum sound on here, the kick is so light, like, you know, it's not a rock tune, but you want there to be this dark presence in there. How do you work with drummers in general? Thomas, no, we didn't work with any drummers on that record. The record is called Sudden Exposure to Light, and it came out with another record called Comfort as a double album, I think in 2018, 19, something like that. But the Sudden Exposure to Light part of the record I made with Thomas Bartlett in his studio in New York. And it was just the two of us sitting there working on it, and we were using sampled, sampled drum sounds. He just made an album with Yoko Ono just before I came in. So he had some residual samples left over from from her sessions with him, including elephants trumpeting and so forth. So we decided in the end (laughs) not to have elephants. All right. So would he be the one where like those piano riffs, because there's some like nice acoustic piano that comes in? Yes, he's, he's a great piano player. Yeah. And what about these sort of you talking on the radio? answering your side. Is this your way of that you get to tell a little more of the story without actually changing the lyrics without? That's the, the, all of a sudden this man pops out of nowhere, that part, right? You know, I was very influenced by Laurie Anderson when she came out with her seminal record, Big Science. So I think that I was influenced by her in that. And the things that I'm saying in that spoken word part are things that the girl says in the move in the documentary, she says, and she's speaking about Neil Cassidy. And she's also speaking about the wonders of her altered state, I guess, and the sort of utopian view of the world where everything is all funny, all beautiful, all meaningful. And I just thought, God, that's so, that's so beautiful and so sad at the same time, because she was kind of in a delusional state. Well, she was in a delusional state. I mean, she took her clothes off, for Christ's sake. She took her clothes off and strapped herself to the back of a bus and did a dance, you know, for people who were going past her on the freeway, you know, motorists. And she's out of her mind. 
Well, and the way that it ends with the getting down on my knees, that it sort of has this dual because you're talking about all meaningful, all at the same time. You know, it sounds like it is prayer, but it's clearly a, you know, a sex thing. So actually being able to combine that, the degradation as you're talking about with this, I guess you're calling it faux spirituality. Well, I mean, I think that that's why people get into these things because they're trying to find some, as I said, relief and release from painful experiences or whatever, you know, difficult circumstances. Yeah. So it's a nice contrast with this first song, which is this honest attempt at spirituality and this where something has gone wrong. Yeah. Right. Well, let's get the third song out there then to change it up completely. I, I'm not sure why I picked this one in particular. It stuck out to me a couple times. Maybe because the story is so clear, although the purpose, anyway, it's called 24 Hours of Love. It's from New York Girls Club, 1996. Can you say a little about what this thing is? I wanted to show one that showed your liking sort of lounge jazz. It's got a bossa nova thing, I guess, at the time. So, you know, it's got this almost Santana kind of feel to it with the guitar and the, you know, really nice jazz piano and just deep, deep drums. Well, that was produced by Joel Diamond, and he got this wonderful band together. That was in my early days of recording with Chesky Records. We made the first album called The Raven together, and then we made uh, the New York Girls Club. And he is another brilliant musician. And so that's his piano that you're hearing there. And this song, I think it was inspired, actually. I think I just read Mary McCarthy's book, The Group, and the, you know, the stories in there that are so sort of bitter. And a combination of that kind of theme, in particular, one of the characters' stories in that book. And also, you know, the song is sung from the point of view of a, a rogue, right? A predator who's smooth talker. It was strains of that book coming through. Also, with my own experiences on the periphery of Hollywood. A day of love is good for you 
downstairs, fix your face, pack your precious vanity case, take the bus back to your life. This does not sound written on guitar. It sounds written on piano, but was this another one that you had a guitar and that's where all those funky chords come from and then you just got stripped out once you gave it to the band? Yeah, I know. I did write that one on a guitar. And it is funny that you say the funky chords that got interpreted by a band because I'm just, I'm in rehearsals right now with a band and they're having the same (laughs) issues sort of transcribing my chords to their instruments. I mean, they were just joking about it the other day. I'm self-taught on the guitar. So that means like all self-taught people, I kind of make up chords. I hear this progression in this song and I have no idea what the chord is. So I'm just going to fiddle around until I find something quite like it that satisfies me. And that's what I want to hear. It might be quite an open chord where the tonic of, of the chord might not be obvious, right? To somebody who's trying to transcribe it. Sure. It's one of those guitar things where, as a theatrical bit, the going up and the going down. So if we just want to put your finger across all the strings, that's a chord, and then move it down a half step and move it, you know, that's, I don't know if that's exactly what you did here, but there are some spots in it where... Like chromatic, little chromatic Yeah, the little chromatic movements, yes. Exactly. Although then, you know, once you give that thing to a jazz pianist, then they're going to fill in... Mm-hmm. They're going to probably make it make more sense than it would if, if you're just doing it yourself because they know too much experience. So the tolerance for Steely Dan jazz rock chords, that seems to have like, that's definitely something that I played with early on and it seems unnatural to me now. I love Steely Dan. Um, in fact, Walter Becker played on one of my records. Yes, yes, I was noticing that. I do hear less of that. Like, it doesn't seem like a song with exactly this Mm-mm. selection of chords would be on anything in the past several records you've done. I've gone through that stage and I've gone back to a kind of more Brit kind of pop rock that I grew up with in the, in the early 80s, I guess. Like, people like Susie and the Banshees and, although I'm not, I've changed as well, but you chose this song called um, You've Gotten My Number, and that song really, I think, is inspired by people like Blondie or I know she's New York, but it's, it, she's definitely influenced by that indie kind of scrappy sound, which I love. Yes, I wanted something to wrap this up that is just 
a regular old catchy kick-ass <laughs> rock song. It's got the beautiful flowing stuff that is in the first song, but it's not a meditation on any. It's not a theater piece in the way that both of these are. I mean, it's 24 hours of love. This is a, a very peppy, nice song. Like there's a reason that this caught in my mind. I guess it's the, the lounge thing that if you have tones that are just so accessible, right? Having this Santana-ish guitar and having that piano sound and having those dark drums, then you can kind of get away with crazier chords. I mean, that's the beauty of a piano itself, that if you were playing those on a synth from this period, a pre-21st century synth, I don't know. I just have one of the guys from Level 42 on the show, and he we were talking about those synth sounds that have not necessarily aged well. And doing that kind of chord... The piano here just melts your heart. You could do anything with it. <laughs> I see what you mean. Yeah. No, I, I understand. Yeah, I get you. I've seen in your more recent live stuff that you have something of a consistent band. Has that been just the past five, ten years? Like, how? what's the consistent? It seems like you're when you're working with different producers, you're just, well, bring in your people. I'm a solo artist. Let's just figure out what will go behind me. I used to do that. I did do that with Larry Klein. Particularly. Okay. Less so in the later records because I have people I've been working with for years, but this current band is a great band. Some of them played on this record. The reason all of them didn't play on this record is because, you know... COVID. <laughs> I was Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I should say we are in rehearsal now for some gigs. We're doing a, a record release show at McCabe's here in Santa Monica in Los Angeles on September 24th. So you could come see this magnificent band and we'll be playing some things from my back catalog and, and quite a lot of things from this new album. And then I'm playing at Joe's Pub with another great set of musicians in New York. And I'll be joined by a wonderful artist called Tammy Faye Starlight, who's just knockout and great. She'll be my special guest. So any thoughts about adapting these to the live band? You just sort of, here's the recording. See what you can do with it, especially with all these Eastern sounds and things like, or did you get an extra, I'm going to have a, a tabla player, you know, to come just for this new tour. Well, we do. I mean, I do have a tabla player who played on the record, Satnam Ramgotra, and he is playing with us. Yeah. Okay. He's going to be playing on, on the second half of the show. But no, I don't want it to sound exactly like the record. I'm not at all wedded to that. I want it to be live and in the moment, which, you know, these guys are such great musicians and they play so well together. And, and you know, I, lo I love them. It's going to be a great show. So for instance, Silent Sound, uh -huh. are you, is somebody playing marimba on it? No, we're giving it a slightly different treatment. Yeah. So it just has to have some rhythm running through. It doesn't have to be that particular feel. Yeah. We are going to be using some sampled sounds from the record too. It's just going to be a, a mixture. What is the place to wrap things up here? I started off by saying, how are you fitting the acting and the music together? Is it pretty much all the music now or are you still doing acting gigs? Or I am still doing acting gigs. Okay. We should probably say when the record's coming out, shouldn't we? Sure. It's coming out on September 24th of this year. Like, is music the main thing when you get up in the morning that you're thinking about the next thing the band is going to do? That How are you balancing these Passions. At the moment, it is. I'm a, I've got my music de hat definitely on my head, but I do have some acting planned for next year. And is every even acting gig 
you're saying it's a, I only do one project at a time, but there are some acting gigs that like, okay, I'm in a couple scenes of something. I don't, it's not a project. It's just. Yeah. That stuff that you can, you know, you don't have to be on location for a long time. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing that's easy to go in and do. And are you doing theater? I am going to be doing a play, a new play in New York next year. Okay. So that's a real immersion, of course, and having to, or do you feel like it's a similar thing with the amount of rehearsal and just with the location work for a film? I will be totally immersed in that. Yes. I'll be rehearsing. I'll be performing. I'll be in New York for a few months. And do these things interact in terms of being inspired by the characters you're doing in theater to let's write a song from that person's point of view or anything, anything that ham-fisted, anything that direct. It hasn't happened yet. Okay. <laughs> I guess that's a little... I, to explore my character, I wrote three songs from their point of view. I mean, that'd be an interesting method acting way of doing it, but... Uh, right, right. I didn't train in, in this country as an actress. I might have had some method training, but I don't. All right. Well, let's just introduce, yeah, say a little more about this Blue Dress On 2013 album. You Have Got My Number, as we said, is the song that I picked from that. Do you want to say a few words about where you're at at that point? I was influenced by punk as a, as a young girl. Getting back into those kind of roots. I think I was being influenced by uh, PJ Harvey. She's an uh, artist that I really admire. And I agree with you. It's got that catchy, edgy, rocky thing. I like it. But yet it grows as it goes. Like just the beginning, like that's fine, but it's not startlingly unique in the way that once you're moving up and down vocal thing and you know, it just, it opens up. That stuff always seems to end up coming into my songs at some point. All right. Well, thanks so much for chatting here. It was a pleasure immersing myself in your catalog. Really top drawer stuff. It's really, really nice to talk to you, Mark. I appreciate you doing this. Thank you. All right, here it is. You've got my number. Crossing currents, cutting down through the wire.
thanks so much to Rebecca. She's got a very, very interesting discography. Check it out at RebeccaPigeonMusic.com. For my next episode, I'm very thrilled to be able to actually announce, because it's actually recorded, an interview with Robin Hitchcock, whose CDs take up a whole shelf of my collection, and it was a sweet interview. Make sure you get it as soon as possible by being subscribed to the Nakedly Examined Music podcast at nakedlyexaminedmusic.com or look us up on the platform of your choice. And if you don't want to hear me telling you about showers or other sponsors, maybe you should go to patreon.com slash nakedlyexaminedmusic. You sign up for a, a small per episode donation. You can even set a maximum per month. So you could say $1 per month total. That will get you my episode notes, the ad-free versions, everything. There was even some bonus stuff that just went up recently. The only barrier between you and this is your own apathy. And speaking of musical apathy, I have had a wonderful, complete break from that. I've put massive numbers of my old albums up at marklint.bandcamp.com since last we spoke. I am slowly releasing those to the streaming platforms. There's already one new one on Spotify, presumably on Apple Music now or soon, called The Cheese Stands Alone. But on the Bandcamp page, I now have 16 albums. So virtually my whole discography is there for your perusal. And I've written a new song, which I just did a little video of and released on my Facebook page. So feel free to, to friend me there or follow me or uh, hook up with the Nakedly Examined Music Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter. I don't stress this stuff enough. There is Instagram specifically for Nakedly Examined Music. You can make sure with any of those things that you do not miss an episode. So I hope you are feeling as good about music as I am right now. Keep on exploring. Keep on experimenting. Keep reaching for the stars, if that's the kind of thing you're into. <laughs> Most of all, keep on musicin'. Until next time, this is Mark Vincent Meyer signing off. <laughs>